Good morning, Church. My name is John Menton. It's my joy and privilege to be able to bring you greetings from our family and also from Grace Bible Church here in East London, South Africa. There really is no substitute for the church gathered together on a Sunday morning for corporate worship. And I'm sure that you, like me, are longing to be able to do that again. But having to use video to communicate has presented the opportunity to collaborate with other churches in ways that we could have never before because of, of time, because of travel, and because of cost. A friend of mine here in South Africa was able to preach via Zoom for the church that he helped to plant in New Zealand over 15 years ago. And eight years ago, Crosspoint Coast became our family and partners in the gospel. And so I'm very excited to be able to join you for, for part four of the series, The God You Can Know. This morning, we are going to consider the power of God, the power of God, as we spend some time together in Psalm 46. So Psalm 46, verses 1 through 11, I'm reading from the ESV. God is our refuge and strength, a present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. What is power? What comes to mind when you think of power? The power of an animal, like a prowling lion? Jeremiah and Sandy got the chance to see some lions up close when they, they visited us in South Africa. And they will attest to the fact that the lion is a mighty and powerful beast, inspiring fear and respect. For you in the Space Coast, maybe it's the power of a rocket blasting off into space. There's the power of weapons like a tank or a fighter jet, or the most powerful of all human creations, the nuclear bomb. The nuclear bomb can unleash enough power to destroy an entire city. But that power is nothing compared to the power revealed in nature. A hurricane can release as much energy as 10,000 nuclear bombs. Incredible. But that's child's play compared to a supernova. The explosion of a huge star 150 times the size of the sun. The amount of power that is released is incomprehensible. To put it into perspective, the amount of energy that strikes the earth from the sun in one hour could provide power for the whole world 
for an entire year. Supernovas produce as much energy in a few seconds as the sun produces in 10 billion years. Now that is power. So what does God think of these displays of power in nature, like a hurricane or a supernova? In Job chapter 26, after discussing God's mighty acts in nature, Job says in verse 14, Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? Job marvels at the awesome force of God displayed in nature and concludes it only shows the barest traces of his power. It's not like God does these things and he's exhausted because that was everything that he had inside of him. No, it's a fraction. It's just a teeny bit. It just scratches the surface. The power of God is unfathomable. Hence, God is said to be omnipotent. Omnipotent. The word comes from two Latin words, omni meaning all and potent meaning powerful. It's not a word that's used in the Bible, but throughout the pages of Scripture, you see it reflected that God is infinitely powerful. In the Old Testament, one of the Hebrew names for God is El Shaddai, which means God most powerful or God almighty. Genesis 17.1, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God almighty. Power is inherent to God. Psalm 62 verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. God is able to do what is seemingly impossible. Jeremiah 32:27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? What's the answer to that question? Job 42:2. Job confesses, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Luke 1.37 When Mary asked the angel Gabriel how she could conceive a child without a man, he says to her, For nothing will be impossible with God. Matthew 19.26 After Jesus compared the difficulty of a rich man getting into heaven with a camel passing through the eye of a needle, the disciples asked him, Who then can be saved? Jesus responded, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God can do all things that he pleases, and he does so without any exertion. God's power is always active and does not diminish. He does not need to take a break and regain his strength. Isaiah 40, 28, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. And God's power is so far beyond human capabilities that we simply cannot understand it. Ephesians 3.20, he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. God is all-powerful, all-powerful. That's God. How about you? How about me? Times like these force us to acknowledge our weaknesses and inability, to admit our lack of control, our lack of power. In this current context of mounting uncertainty, fear, and anxiety, we need to know 
who God is and that he is for us. We need to know who God is and that he is for us. Psalm 46 was written in a time of crisis. Many scholars believe that it was written when Hezekiah was king and and the king of Assyria and his army had come in and plundered villages in Judea, taking over 200,000 captives and 185,000 soldiers had surrounded the city of Jerusalem, ready to attack. The psalm teaches us that it is in the midst of trying times that God's people can celebrate God's power. Though the world is full of trouble, we have a God who is our help and our strength. The psalm is broken up into three parts or, or three scenes in which God's supreme power is proclaimed. The first scene, verses 1 to 3, we see God's power over nature. The second scene, verses 4 to 7, we see God's power over the attackers of his city. And the third scene, verses 8 through 11, God's power over the whole warring world. So let's take a look at the first scene, God's powerful protection, verses 1 to 3. This is a picture of one of the the most frightening, most terrifying, catastrophic natural events imaginable. The psalmist pictures for us a cataclysmic earthquake in which the whole world is unmade. The stable mountains are falling into the sea. The chaotic seas are swirling and foaming and they're covering the earth. This is a picture of Genesis 1 reversed, where all the distinctions between land and sea that God has established are being Undone. Rather than order and structure, there's d- disorder and destruction. But note the psalmist doesn't start with the disaster- disastrous circumstances. He starts with God. Verse 1 God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. One commentator writes This is a classic example of praying the attributes of God as a way of moving faith to believe in the ultimate reality over our present circumstances. We pray back to God who he is, what he's like, what he has done in the past, what he has promised to do in the future, and our faith is moved to believe in that reality which transcends our specific circumstances. So when we go through adversity, when we are under enormous pressure, we must start with God, not with our circumstances. The psalmist begins by pointing us to the living, all-powerful God. He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The first thing he says about God is that God is our refuge, a refuge, a place of shelter, protection, security. Notice here that God himself is our refuge. It's not even... he's. It's not even saying that he will provide refuge. It's not even saying that he will provide shelter. It's saying that he is our refuge. He is our shelter. God himself is the very thing that we need. Secondly, God is our strength. This means that God is the one who is strong when we are weak. Listen to that carefully again. God is the one who is strong when we are weak. Think about this opening scene, all the distress and disaster. The psalmist is not saying that God will make you strong. 
although he, he can do that and he, he often does do that. But think about it. What good is it to be strong when the earth is crumbling beneath you, when the mountains are giving way? Your strength counts for nothing. You see, what he's saying here is not that you will be strong, but that God is strong for you. He is your strength when the world around you is being shaken. See, there's something to be said of you being strong, but it's so much better when you can take refuge in God Almighty and rely on his strength. I think of Paul's Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12 verses 9 and 10. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He goes on to say, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The psalmist is reminding us that we have someone stronger. God is stronger. Thirdly, the psalmist says God is a very present help. He's incredibly, incredibly close. He's always accessible in times of trouble. Now, the psalmist is not denying the omnipresence of God, but he is acknowledging the truth of the special, unique nearness of God to his people in days of trouble. So in this first scene, the psalmist is telling us that even if the two most unchangeable, unshakable things that we can think of in the world, the earth under our feet and the mountains, even if these things were hurled into the bottom of the ocean, even if the whole world were turned upside down, we need not fear, for God cannot be shaken. Whatever the catastrophe we might be facing, it could be a major health issue, it could be the death of a loved one, it could be a strained relationship, it could be financial pressure, it could be the loss of a job. The psalmist is saying, we can run to God. He is always ready to help. Where have you been tempted to turn to for refuge and strength instead of the Lord? I hope and, and I trust that you have come to the place where you realize that your, your degrees cannot help, cannot help you. They cannot keep you safe. You realize that your, your business success, your, your bank account, your friends and family cannot keep you safe. There is no ultimate safety there, but there is safety in God. This psalm brings proper perspective into our inner lives. Sometimes our thoughts and our feelings can be like great tsunamis that wreak havoc inside of us. That's true, isn't it? But this word from God reminds us that you and I can never say, I'm alone in this mess. You can never say, there is nobody who can help me. For God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So turn to him and trust in him. Now let's turn to the second scene where we see God's powerful provision. God's powerful provision in verses 4 through 7. Here we are confronted with two seemingly contradictory realities. First, there is this picture in verses 4 and 5 of a serene city 
a peaceful city, the city of God. And what's remarkable about this is when you look at verses 6 and 7, you realize that this is a city under siege. The armies of the enemies of God are surrounding the city, yet the psalmist has given us a picture of God's power to protect us against anything by showing how serene the city of God is, even when surrounded by enemies. Now, most big cities in the ancient world were were built around a solid, reliable water source. But what's interesting about the city of Jerusalem is that the only water source nearby was the spring of Gehan, which ran outside the city walls. This is quite an important factor, especially if you were going to attack a city like Jerusalem, because if you could cut off their water supply, that would be pretty key in your siege. And so the king of Assyria probably knew this and thought he could take advantage of that fact. But what he didn't know was that, the, that King Hezekiah had built an internal water tunnel that ran water into the city from the spring of Gehan. Scripture doesn't tell us this, but there, there are books that talk about it. And so it's very possible that there was this underground stream or river that sustained the city of Jerusalem while under attack. But here's what I want us to see. The nations raging against the city of God, and the text tells us that she will not be moved. In fact, more than just not being moved, she will be provided for. There will be a supply of life and power, even when the enemy is knocking at the door. The city is safe and secure because God is in her midst. See, the river is a metaphor for God's presence with God's people. And not only with these people here, but in a New Testament sense, in his people. And though it's not explicitly stated, we could easily infer that the streams here are the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Dual streams, one inward and, and one outward. In other words, God's people ought to be refreshed by the presence of God through the Holy Spirit within us and through the word of God to us. In John chapter 7, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit indwelling the people of God like rivers of living water. And in Matthew 4.4, he says that we live not on bread alone, but the words of God. Whatever problems are raging against us, God has provided us with his spirit and his word as an ever-flowing resource to keep us and to sustain us. The goodness and grace of God keeps flowing. Here is a city made glad by this river. God dwells within her. She is invincible. There's trouble on every side, but the city is going to hold. She shall not be moved. Verse 5. Notice that word again. It takes us back to verse 2 and 3, where we get the picture of the whole world moving, mountains moving. In contrast to the city, it's not going to be moved. Why? Well, the psalmist goes back to his meditation on who God is and what God does. The city is not going to be moved first because God is in her midst. He is right in the midst of her. And secondly, God will help her. God is her aid. 
God will grant help. And thirdly, God will help her soon, just at the right time. He will help her at the dawn of day. So for all these reasons, the city will hold. And then in verse 6, we have, we have this beautiful, this glorious declaration. It says, The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he raises his voice, and the earth melts. God speaks the whole rebellion into oblivion. God reduces the siege to nothing with just his word. He spoke the whole world into being. There was nothing, then by his word there was everything. By the same power, he, he speaks the enemies of his people into oblivion. He uses the weaponry of his word. No wonder this hymn was the battle hymn of the Lutheran Reformation. There's a reason for that. This psalm celebrates God's power over circumstances and it celebrates the power of God's word. His word speaks the world into being and it unmakes his enemies and brings new life and light into our hearts through the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Luther said, We sing the psalm to the praise of God because he is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. Then note the refrain of verse 7, and it's also repeated in verse 11. There is a strong note of confidence in it. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is another meditation on God. First, he's the God of armies. The Lord of hosts is with us. It speaks of his great majesty, his awesome power. The divine warrior is on our side. God is the divine warrior. He's the leader of his armies and he is with us. The psalmist doesn't stop there. He says he's the God who has made promises to us. He's the God of Jacob. He's the God of covenant grace. He's the God who has pledged to be faithful to his people. But what strikes me here is, why Jacob? Why not, why not Abraham? Surely he is the man, the, man, the man of faith, right? I mean, if you've read Genesis, you know that Jacob was a real scoundrel. He was the worst of the patriarchs by far. He was a deceiver. He's a, he's a con artist. He was a heel grabber. No doubt this is meant to point us to the faithfulness of God and his covenant to all of the fathers. But there is a sense in which I think that it is specifically pointing us to God's sovereign grace. If there ever was one guy who would not qualify for God in the Old Testament, it would be Jacob. But how grace changes everything. Grace changes everything. He is the God of covenant grace. So the good news then for you and me is, if the God of Jacob is our God, if he chose us apart from good works, apart from our worthiness, then how much more will he not keep us when we are weak and in trouble? The God of Jacob is our fortress. He is our stronghold. He is our fortress. This word is a picture of a fortress that is inaccessibly high. Nobody can get to it. 
So they are secure because of who God says he is and what he does for his people. That same word that spoke the world into being protects us from our enemies and provides for us in the midst of battles. I believe this is an accurate picture of the church in the world. The church being described in verses 4 and verse 5 and the world being described in verse 6. The psalmist is telling us here that God is not neutral. God is not a casual Neutral bystander. The lesson is that God is totally for his people. He is totally for his church. He is our powerful provider. Romans 8, 31 to 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then verse 38 and 39 of of Romans chapter 8. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Finally, we have the third scene. God's powerful redemption. Verses 8 through 11, God's powerful redemption. Come behold the works of the Lord. The psalmist invited us, invites us to come and look, to see and to contemplate God's victory, God's redemption, God's salvation. This is a future picture. This is what the battlefield looks like when God is done, when God prevails over his enemies. And it's a final picture. This is the picture of the future when the challenges facing God's people in this fallen world have ended. This picture is used by the psalmist to remind us of God's power to protect us against anything by showing his complete victory over all the forces arrayed against us. The psalmist is calling us to remember how the story ends because God's people throughout history are going to face persecution. God's people are always going to find themselves in difficult days. But there is a day coming, the day of the Lord, when Jesus will return in power and great glory. This is our hope. You and I know how this is going to end. Jesus conquers all. Verses 8 through through 11 here have the same function as the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation gives us the end before it has come to remind us of the certainty of victory that is coming. Jesus Christ has conquered and vanquished all of his enemies. The great victory is won and it is an unequivocal victory. The whole point of the book of Revelation is this. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. It's a picture to fuel your hope because of the certain future that is coming. Revelation 19, 11 and onward says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. 
He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword from which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. There will finally be peace. All the weapons of the enemies of God will be destroyed. Every enemy will surrender. Every knee will bow. God will not only protect us, God will not only provide for us, he will lead us to victory in Jesus Christ. And God does this not through negotiation, but by one command, one announcement. Be still and know that I am God. This is God God saying, silence, stop it. I am in charge. I reign. It's God's announcement of his rule and his judgment. This famous devotional verse, verse 10, it's it's printed on t-shirts, it's printed on coffee mugs. It's primarily a word of judgment. Now this might come as a surprise to you, and maybe you're even a little bit disappointed. But the principle still applies. Being still and thinking about God still applies. It's still a very good thing to do, especially when you're when you're facing trials and and when we are in trouble. And actually, that's exactly what this psalm is telling us to do. It's, it's just not in verse ten. After every scene, after every stanza, at the end of verses three and seven and eleven, there is a Hebrew word, selah. Because most likely it's used as a musical notation. It means pause and reflect. Pause and reflect. Contemplate. We are being told to pause and reflect on God's power, his powerful protection, his powerful provision, and his powerful redemption. The city of God doesn't make it happen. The people of God don't make it happen. We are simply called to trust and obey. God does it. This informs the whole approach to the Christian life. You see, the world thinks God is so weak. How can God's word overthrow the world? You just watch it. You just watch it. By his word, God accomplishes his victory. And all we are called to do is trust in that word and faithfully walk in its way. If you have yet to trust in that word, if you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, I pray that you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God today. Receive his grace and find Christ to be your real hope and rest. So church, may we deeply trust in our Lord's powerful protection. May we gladly draw from his powerful provision. And may we eagerly await the powerful redemption he has promised. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, his power, the God of all power. Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you this morning for your word, your powerful word. Thank you for this reminder of your awesome power and that you are for your people. May we, in these times of of trouble and times of uncertainty, turn to you in dependence, God. May May our hope be in your sovereign plan. Lord, forgive us for looking for strength and security in in anything besides you. Lord, those things cannot hold us up. Lord, those things will ultimately disappoint us. So, Lord, set our eyes on you again. Stir our hearts to worship and, and gratitude for you our covenant-keeping God, our Lord Almighty, our mighty fortress. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.